This afternoon I preach to you the Word of God as the church summarizes and confesses it in Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you'd like to read along, you can find that part of our confession on page 549 of the Book of Praise. You can see it's in the third part of our thankfulness. We looked at our sin and misery, our deliverance, and now we look at what it is to be thankful uh, for our deliverance. And here the church confesses, question 88, what is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory, and not those based on our own opinion or on precepts of men. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the question of conversion, repentance is very relevant, very important in our lives. We believe that although it is possible for someone to know the exact date and time of their conversion, once dedicated to Christ, uh, we know that a person's life is a life of, of constantly converting, constantly changing uh, your heart. You see that in the Catechism, our confession. We talk about a process. It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. The word is, it's a process of sanctification. We repent and we make changes in our hearts and our minds every day and, and many times in a day as we are fleeing from sin and its temptations, even hating that sin, and as we are renewing at the same time our commitment and our trust to the one true God who saves us. And so every time an apostle or a prophet calls us to repent, we will want to do so because the Spirit is at war with our sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. That's how Paul pictures it for us. There's a, there's a war within us. And I think we know that as we look around at our lives what that, that war is like. We can already see it in, in little children. They're fighting the temptation to do something wrong. And there's a battle within them. Now, Joel's prophecy is therefore very relevant for us today. It makes us think very carefully about what it is that the Holy Spirit wants us to do every day. Joel, we read, we prophesies, prophesies a great catastrophe, the day of the Lord is coming. And then he tells his people to prepare themselves for this by repenting. And we especially look at verses 12 and 13 of the chapter that we read, chapter 2. And we look at these uh, verses as we realize that God's patience is limited and that he calls all of us to repent. 
You see, repentance is, is always the, the first step of entering into the presence of God. Repentance is the first step of entering into the presence of God. You could think of the, the Old Testament. There was a temple and there was a need to bring sacrifices to the temple. Well, what drove someone to, to take an animal and bring it to the, the, the temple was that they realized that they needed to be forgiven. And that's recognized of, of their, their own sins, their desire to, to change and to live a changed life. John the Baptist, he, he preached the baptism of repentance. So how did he want people to prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus? He said, repent and be baptized and then you are ready to see the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord tells us to humble ourselves before him and I preached to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme that, that in him we can rend our hearts and not our garments and return to the Lord our God. You can see that comes straight from Joel chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. And we'll see two parts of this. It's sorrow for sin and also joy in Christ. Children, you think about some rules in your house do your mommy and daddy let you rip your clothes? That's a question we think about. Are, they, are you allowed to rip your clothes when you're sad or frustrated or angry? I don't think you are allowed to rip your clothes when you're sad or angry or, or even when you're out playing. But a long time ago when people were sad, they showed they were sad by ripping their clothes. You can read about it in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 1, verses 11 to 12, the great King David, when he heard that Saul had died, he ripped his clothes. And then later, when Abner was killed, sneakily, again, David reacted. He, he ripped his clothes. King Ahab, did you know he also, he ripped his clothes when Elijah said, you are a sinner, look what you're doing. And he reacted, he ripped his clothes to show how humble, how sad he was about his sins. And we read that he ripped them. That's in 1 Kings 21, verse 27. He, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, and he fasted and he went about dejectedly. When King Josiah heard the words of the law, they had been lost for a long time and somebody read them to him. How did he react uh, again, King Josiah, he ripped his clothes in his sorrow. Now, when you look at Joel 2, verse 13, it says, rend your hearts and not your garments. And if you realize that the word rend means rip, rip apart, then you can see that the prophet Joel is talking about this way of showing sadness on the, on the outside by, by ripping your clothes. And Joel is saying, if you are truly sad about your sins, you will not just rip your garments, you will not just put on a show and keep telling people how sad you are about your sins, but he says you will actually experience sadness in your hearts. You will rend your hearts and not just your garments. Joel chapter 2 is talking about what the true repentance and conversion of man looks like. 
And it tells us that no matter how we may express our sorrow outwardly, true repentance begins with a sorrow for our sins that is heartfelt. Those are words that we recognize right from our confession. The dying of the old nature, that's a, a heartfelt sorrow. It's to grieve with a heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sins. And we need to reflect on, on those words. How do you repent from the inside? That's the big question in the catechism. What's a true repentance? How do you repent from the inside? And in the first place, using the imagery from Joel, the picture that Joel gives us, we can see that heartfelt sorrow is not being overly concerned about how we are seen by others. Heartfelt sorrow means that we don't need to think about how we should show our sorrow. We don't need to act like we're sad because we actually really are sad. And we are sad for a very important reason. We are sad not because the minister says these sins are bad and you should be ashamed of yourself for disobeying God's law as if sad sadness was a matter of obedience. You see, sadness is not just a matter of obedience. The sadness of repentance is also not the, the sadness that comes from being sad because we miss doing something that we actually kind of enjoyed. I can't sin and I'm sad because I liked doing that type of sin. That's not the sadness of repentance. But in real, true repentance, we are sad not only because we hate the sin that we ourselves have done, or maybe even are still fighting against, but we are sad because we realize right there in our hearts against whom we have sinned. Heartfelt grief arises in our hearts when we understand that when we sin, we offend God, the creator, our maker. You think about that a little bit. You know, you know how sometimes maybe you don't do it, but you've heard somebody that does it. You, you joke with your friends and then you, you take the phone, you answer the phone and you answer very rudely with them. And then it happens that one time you don't notice that it, the person calling you is actually your boss or an important client or your parent, and then you end up calling them, them a name, and you right away go, oh, I'm sorry. So, oh, I didn't realize it was you. How does that make you feel when you realize whom you have offended? Or maybe you're driving a car and there's a big puddle and you think it'd be funny to splash the people on the, on the sidewalk and, and, and you're going to come driving. And as you drive by and you're splashing, you realize it's actually your grandmother and your sick little niece. It's, it's horrible. You realize whom you offended. You're, it's a different feeling in your heart. It's, it's a horrible feeling when you realize that your sinful nature wants to do and even has done horrible things against the most high majesty of your most gracious and loving covenant father. Heartfelt repentance will start with a clear understanding of the majesty and the holy light of God Almighty. 
when you look at yourself, you look deeper. You, you, you look straight at God. And so there's nothing you can hide. And that mask that you may use to fool the people around you, it, it doesn't fool God. His glory and his light, they shine into the recesses of your heart and your mind and, and spirit. And then you begin to understand how he sees you and how he sees your sin. We saw that a little bit this morning as well. He sees it through tear-stained eyes. And so a Christian who understands that, a Christian who understands against whom they have sinned, they don't just say, oh, bother. Okay, now I have to show I'm sad again. Oh, yes, right, let me rip my garments and put dust on my head and shout, hey, look at me, I'm really, really sad. I sure miss those things that I was doing, but, but even though I'm sad, I will continue on. I'll try a little harder. Don't you worry. That's not the, the true repentance. That's what Joel's saying. A Christian doesn't just try to look sad on the outside. When we realize what we have done, true repentance is being devastated in our heart of hearts. When we look at chapter two of Joel, we see that he gives several descriptions of that, the outside signs of that agony, that devastation in our hearts. We read about fasting and weeping and mourning in Joel chapter two, verse 12. That reminds us of David's reaction when he recognized that he had not just sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba, his own wife, his family, and his whole country, but what did he say, Lord, against you? Only, against you only have I sinned. David didn't eat or drink for days. He was dejected. That's fasting when you don't eat or drink for a long time. He didn't eat or drink. He, he, he felt horrible because of, against, because of whom he sinned against. In Joel 1 verse 8, there's another picture of the the sadness of someone who, who recognizes they have offended God. Joel says it, they lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. Someone who loses uh, a bridegroom early in the marriage, the, the great sadness. There's an empty feeling, that empty feeling that, that, makes, that makes joking and, and fancy clothes and celebratory meals inappropriate. Something that sackcloth really needs to, sackcloth expresses what's in our hearts better. The same thing when we're in church, when we hear the 10 words of the covenant and, and we're faithful, we, we listen to the words and we compare our lives to those 10 words of the covenant. We recognize once again who we are and how gracious God is to allow us to be together. We, we, don't, we, never, we don't shout and, and raise our wine glass in celebration and shout, oh, yay, look at me. I'm the one who spit in the face of God like this. It's not an appropriate response when we see who we are. And we read of a holy assembly, Joel 2, verses 15 to 17. It speaks about calling a holy assembly. It's a time of confession. There's communal confession. It's so important, in fact, that we read in, in verse, the end of verse 16 that the bridegroom and the bride, they needed to leave their room to participate in this confession. The repentance was so important. It was the first part of, of being again in the presence of God. 
Even though God's law said that a bridegroom and a bride didn't even have to go to the army for a whole year when it came to repentance, it was the first thing they had to do. Interesting, when the Lord Jesus was talking about the day of judgment, he was telling, talking about people who weren't ready. He said they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. It's quite the contrast. Joel says, first thing, repent. You recognize the seriousness of what you have done. And when we confess our sins, it's good to think about the effects of our sins. It's also good to think about the effects of our sorrow. Heartfelt sorrow comes from a clear understanding. It will always lead a believer to Jesus Christ. Heartfelt sorrow will always lead a believer to Jesus Christ. Christ Christ-centered sorrow is a sorrow that really truly seeks God's glory above everything. Heartfelt sorrow that that is Christ-centered isn't that kind of sorrow that sits there focusing on ourselves and, and on our weakness. Oh, I can never do it quite right. It's not a, that type of sorrow that, that really focuses just on the strength of the devil. Oh, he's so strong, he's so strong. But heartfelt sorrow is that sorrow that, that brings us to, to look at Jesus Christ with, with empty hands. And we recognize that we can do that. that what's, that's what brings us to that, that sorrow. Christ-centered sorrow focuses on the, the change of our hearts so that we become submissive, and so that we truly are led into God's love. Joel 2 verse 14 says that if we rend our hearts and return to the Lord, he will relent. That's a clear conditional element in the prophecies. There's a condition here. If you repent, he will relent. But it's not the kind of condition that states that if we do the right things, we can change God. But it's a condition that makes it clear that if we are changed and if we are transformed in in our hearts, then God will treat us as the new people that we are. God's nature remains the same, but he treats us differently depending on how much we trust in him and how much we look to him. That's why that Christ-centered sorrow is so important. All of a sudden, we realize that that in Christ, we've passed through the the waters of the Jordan and the baptism of repentance so that we're prepared to, to meet our Lord Jesus Christ, to identify ourselves with him completely. We recognize we have nothing to bring to, to this, our salvation. Heartfelt sorrow is coming before him saying, Lord, it's only you. The effects of heartfelt sorrow are amazing in our lives. True repentance, true conversion always happens in the context of heartfelt sorrow for sin. It's always at the same time focused on Jesus Christ. Besides that seriousness and that sorrow for everything that our sinful nature has done, that we have done, there is also at the same time that unquenchable joy and delight in everything that Christ has done. The focus changes from us to him. We see that in our our second point, that joy in Christ. A truly repentant person who is grieved that his sins have offended God is eager to to get rid of those idols, 
His heart, that heartfelt sorrow leads us to look to Christ. And as, as we look to him, we, we stumble over those idols that still remain within us. And so we want to remove those blinders from our eyes. We want, to, we want to rip out the roots of bitterness and envy from our innermost heart so that we can fully immerse ourselves in that unspeakable joy that we see, that we hear proclaimed. Christ Jesus who did everything. Joel 2 verse 13 reminds us when it says, return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. We recognize in those words the, the very famous, the marvelous promise of Exodus 34 verse 6, 7. It's called the the gospel in a nutshell, Exodus 34, verses six and seven. Return to the Lord your God. That means we leave one style, we leave one way of living, one set of priorities, and we move to a place where we have only one Lord and one King in our lives, our King Jesus Christ. Returning to the Lord your God means taking yourself out of the center of your existence and putting Christ there instead. Then you stop thinking, I can do this, I can do this, I got it. And you start thinking, Christ has done this. Returning to the Lord your God means you, you stop doing things for your own gain, things for your own good. And you start doing everything for Christ who is your life. Seek first the kingdom of God, says our Lord Jesus, and all these things will be added to you. That's a radically different perspective, a radically different lifestyle than we see around us. And so we have that radically different perspective when we enter debates that are the more common debates today of abortion and, and euthanasia and, and even transgender bathrooms. I never thought you'd talk about that in a, in a sermon. The change we live in, we see the, the focus in the world around us compared to the focus of the, of the Christian. It's radically different. And the gospel is that Christ Jesus is the great advocate, the lawyer, he makes peace between a holy God and a sinful people. He is the mediator who gives us access to God's throne of grace. And so when we submit ourselves to him, we submit our lives to his kingdom according to the will of God in all good works. That's what the last question and answer talks about. Well, then we also become immersed in those words that Joel mentioned in Joel 2, verse 13. Did you know that those words, grace and mercy and love, they, they're not just words out there, but we can be a part of mercy. Mercy is when God does not punish us as we deserve to be punished. Mercy is that moment when the, the Lord turns that, the, the sword of judgment. He takes it away from us and he directs it to his son instead of us. We can immerse ourselves in God's grace. That's when God pours out upon us blessing upon blessing that we don't deserve. Not only does he not punish us, he also shows his, his, his kindness to us, his favor toward us. 
when we read that God is abounding in love. The Bible is revealing to us that he is faithful to his covenant promises. He is is overflowing in his care and his commitment. When we we see abounding love, it's, it's that surety that even though things are difficult and sometimes hard and sometimes sad, we can just say God is good. He's abounding in love. The Lord is slow to anger. Also, we we may walk beside him every day in spite of those evil inclinations of our hearts. He's not acting out against us, reacting in anger sporadically. We have a God who holds us in his hand, is slow to anger. And as we walk beside this God and with this God, it it does, it's true, it it makes us feel a little more sad, a little more profoundly sad when we we sin and do stuff to, to offend such a wonderful God. But the work of Christ and his love, it reaches even to the depths of our guilt. It says to us, you are mine. God says to us, you are mine. And so he brings us out of those depths and we can live each day in in his abounding love. We could feel it. It affects how, how, how we speak. It affects how we see everything around us. Now this repentance is a process. We said that at the beginning. And we know that we sometimes disobey even while God is holding our hand and and walking with us. I think sometimes we have children that may do that as well, showing them a good way. And even while we're helping them, they might be biting our fingers or kicking us. It's a process of, of learning. Paul says that too. We don't even, we do the things we don't want to do. But in our heart of hearts, We know that God is working by his Holy Spirit. We can say, looking at our lives, there are things that are dead. There are things that I don't do anymore. There are things I don't want to do anymore. And there are new things that I never knew before. That's that process of transformation. Process of sanctification. It's it's the blessing of true conversion. Conversion just means change. It's the work of God. And so we see that pattern of of joyful repentance that is followed by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We read about that in Joel 2. That's a promise. God leads you in repentance. He gives you blessing and he pours out his spirit upon everyone. Joel 2 verses 28 to 29. That's explained by, by Peter in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. He says that's What was promised? The spirit given to all those who are are hidden in Jesus Christ. Although Christ was humbled unto death and was put under the the water of baptism, uh, of repentance when he was baptized by John the Baptist, he also was, was lifted up and he fulfilled all righteousness for us. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He is eternal king. 
Not even your sinfulness can, can be stronger than he is. And then he pours out his Holy Spirit upon all those who believe in him. We are a part of this multitude of prophets filled with the Holy Spirit promised in Joel 2 verses 28 to 29. And God lives in us who have repented so that we may be fully changed and led to walk each day in obedience to his will and to his word. True conversion, it leads you to, to begin to walk in his way, to walk being led by the Spirit. Those who have been truly changed by the Spirit of the Lord will live in love and with delight. That was the question, wasn't it? What is the true repentance and conversion? It's the sorrow, but it's also the delight, the love. Joel 2, verses 18 to 27, that the last part of the chapter, it speaks about the amazing love for his people as he pours out blessings upon them so that they can worship him. Now, we were reading about it and you were thinking, oh, it's, it's about food and wine and oil and, and all this. Uh, if you read the first chapter, you would see that that's where all that was taken away. The people were unable to worship. They were unable to offer sacrifices to the Lord to even show their thankfulness. And then the Lord says in his answer, he said, I will give you everything you need so that you can worship me fully. Once again, you can walk with me with joy. You can have an abundance. You can offer your drink offerings and your, your thank offerings. That attack of the locust will come to an end and there'll be new life. There will be, be springs of, of living water. And brothers and sisters, we need to see that contrast. If before the first part of the book, we had the picture of a young bride who lost her husband lamenting out loud as she walked through the barren, locust-eaten landscape. Now we have a picture of a laughing child holding her loving father's hand as they skip and walk through lush fields of ripe harvest, overflowing wells toward peaceful celebrations filled with laughter. That's the, the change as believers transformed by the Holy Spirit, we count it pure joy when we can walk with God in peace and safety. He says, these are my commandments. This is how you show how to be thankful to me. You, you, you use my name. You don't take my name in vain. You remember the Sabbath day. You honor your father and your mother. We say, yes, Lord. That's exactly what I want to do. It's a love and a joy and delight to live according to all the will of God. We delight in the happy, monogam monogamous relationship with our husband or wife. We rejoice when someone we love speaks the truth. We love it when we have an elder who is, is a good leader. We love it when we come together, we say this worship glorifies the almighty heavenly father what a love, what a, what a delight to see a, a generous person helping out someone who's in need. Brothers and sisters, although we may weep in sorrow for our sins in the evening, in the darkness, by God's grace, by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit who, who dwells right within us, we may drink 
deeply from the refreshing waters of the wells of joy in Christ Jesus our Lord, who walks beside us, who leads us by his spirit, by his word, preaching as well in, in the will of God. And so we go home from here rejoicing once again, rejoicing the powerful work of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we look to him, we say true repentance and conversion. We can put it in words. We can confess it in the catechism. But we see it every day in our lives. What a joy. What a delight. Amen. We'll sing now Psalm